This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Brought to you by AM Radio from the 80s, which is how we're talking today. Did you ever see that Saturday Night Live skit where they had the same guy doing the AM broadcast and the FM broadcast? It probably doesn't mean anything to anybody anymore. I think that we sound more like FM than AM. And so what did AM sound like back AM sounded like, it's And FM? Hi, it's so-and-so FM, where we're rocking the hits and feeling it down to the Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So AM was more sort of loud talk radio. It was a lot more hyper. It just seemed a lot more hyper. It was also sounded tennier. Oh, yeah. Like FM sounded like a deeper, richer sound. And that, I assume, had something to do with... AM was somebody talking to you from live from... In the downtown Columbia, South Carolina, uh-huh. WCOSFM, a day am, and they would, you know, play top 40 stuff, but it was very, it was, it, it didn't sound as good. The sound quality wasn't as good. So music kind of moved to FM, and AM, a talk radio took over AM because you didn't need the, you didn't need to sound as good. And so I assume that has something to do with the actual transmission, like they were different towers or whatever. This is not actually the focus of our episode today, but I just think it's interesting. And Eric clearly knows all about it. I really don't. um, But yeah, there was something different in terms of frequency modulated and something else. I can't remember. There's something to do. There's something different in the quality of the two signals. I guess one is better than the other. I honestly don't know, or maybe different. But the the sound on your television, I think, when we still had broadcast television, was FM. Mm-hmm. And we still we do still have broadcast television. There are people out there who are still using yeah. broadcast television. I don't know if the I don't know if the sound is still an FM thing, but yeah, absolutely. And, if I'm totally making that up and that's complete bullshit, forgive me. This is really not my area. Um, but please do come sure on to the on. Dinner Party Show's Facebook page and explain in excruciating detail how Eric was wrong because I love moments like that. Because they're so rare because he is so often always correct. Eric knows a great deal. It's why he's my best friend and co-host. I think I, I just remember a great deal because I'm really old. And so I've heard a lot of stuff over the years. But... Um, but maybe, I don't know about nose. The nose part is like, <laughs> nose by nose. rote has memorized. Right. I was in a classroom where somebody said something about this in the J school at USC uh, 5,000 uh-huh. years ago in 1852 um, when I was still in college. And when pterodactyls darkened the skies. Right. And brought our messages every morning. Um <laughs> 
Okay, I want to give a little peek behind the curtain here because this is something that we have to do before we begin recording. Our sound genius, Brandon Griffith, says it to us. Because we use a microphone for we're remote recording, which we have been now for almost a year. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of going remote because of the coronavirus pandemic. And we use these microphones called Blue Snowballs, and we use a program called GarageBand on our respective computers in our homes to record. So before we begin, Brandon always says red bars and blue snowballs but sometimes he says blue balls <laughs> yeah i started saying that i started answering him back with that and he's finally relented and he says red bars and blue balls right so anyway i think it's funny nobody else might but maybe it'll be the name of our spin-off production company red bars and or blue maybe balls. it can be our flag our flag tell me more sir well, red bars and blue balls on a field of, uh, you know, chartreuse could be our flag for the dinner party show. <laughs> on top of a rumpled gay pride flag for Absolutely. our rumpled, exhausted gay pride that we both have. Okay, that's enough banter. That's enough silliness. That's enough chit-chat. Really? Now we're going to get down to business? What are we going to talk about that's so serious today? We aren't, actually. We, we oh, aren't. good. Is, I'm sure people are looking for relief. Last month was very... Oh. Wintery came. Um, oh my God. Yes. And so we made a decision that we needed a break from the dark for at least one episode, but we also did not want our serving up of the case of the dating game killer, that episode of 2020 we talked about in the last episode, to be our only Valentine's Day commemoration, if you will. So we thought we would do an episode that was actually about our personal definitions of romance your personal definitions of true love, which you all shared with us on Facebook recently by way of a Wednesday question, which is something we do every Wednesday on the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page. Check it out if you haven't already. And so, yeah, we thought we would do something that was about love that didn't include knives, murder, sexual predation, and abuse. <laughs> like, just let's do an episode about love. Family massacres. Oh, um, my God. Blood-drenched children. We just really wanted to, like, have a week of, like, yeah, let's just talk about, um, you know, roses and boxes filled, heart-filled, heart-shaped boxes filled with chocolate. Um, but yeah. let me ask you a question first before we me? dive in, because I think this is But first, true. something dark. First, no, 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 it's not dark. It's it's maybe a little psychological, but do you think, would you consider yourself a cheerful person, Eric Shawquin? I would consider myself a happy person. I don't know if people would characterize my personality as cheerful. Okay. Um, I, I feel like I am of good cheer, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't know that people would call me cheerful. That seems like I, I'm still pretty well actualized okay okay right i'm pretty situationally aware and uh right cheerful always has a certain chipper in denial kind of sense to me that mm, mm -hmm. that idea of it i am of good cheer and i am always i always talk to people you know wherever i am even strangers like you know Glad to see you. Like, I haven't seen them for a while. Like, they're old friends right. I haven't seen for a while. I like, try and be of good cheer with people, but cheerful, just, I don't know. There's something about it. It has a tone. What do you think? Is it? Don't you think uh, well, I, I think it's in your answer. If, if your belief that cheerful people are delusional, I, I think that's that's sort of an answer. I think that it's not the same I thing as saying say you're, 
Okay. Well, then clarify for me. Because I don't want to attack cheerful people. I mean, I think there are some people that are just intrinsically sweet and lighthearted people who. But but I think the use of that term tends to connote a sort of denial, a sort of denial. Okay, I. I think that you are, um, the reason I am asking this question, and I think this is more true of you than it is of me, but I think that you are someone, and there are many people like you out in the world who are able to cultivate the brighter sides of their personality, not by ignoring the darkness in the world, but by finding ways to exercise it. Um, And I mean that the version with the O in it, not the uh, calisthenics version of exercise. And I think that you, you will often find people who are, um, who are big fans of true crime specials, who are big fans of things that seem outwardly very dark, that are, in fact, very dark, who um, are not miserable people. They're not depressive people. You will often find people who are goths, who are also about romance and passion and things that can be um, not necessarily cheerful, but uplifting and transcendent. You know, I think that right. was something that my mother always talks about with her people of the page over on Facebook. She would get concerned emails from mothers who would say, okay, I want to be understanding, but my child is getting into your books and it seems very dark to me. And mom would always go to this place of trying to explain to them that it's also about beauty, her world, what she wrote about. So I, all of that, I think, is a long way of saying that those of us I, I've said this before. There's a wonderful Louise Penny quote. She's a mystery writer who is um, very successful right now and deservedly so, so in my opinion. Before. She said it before, and I quoted her before, <laughs> is what I meant to say. Um, I go, the, her lead detective, her hero, says, I go into the darkness because it makes the bright things that much brighter when I come out. You know, it's about the duality and the contrast. And I think that. Um, we, you are a huge mystery fan. Like you will just oh. devour television I mean, mysteries, right? Absolutely insatiable. But you are also kind and loving to almost everyone who crosses your path, unless they're a huge jerk. Well, I have to say that I tend to be more just dismissive. Like I, I don't give of the a lot jerks, of time of the jerks. I don't just don't give a lot of time to it. I just think they're boring. Like it's mm-hmm. like, oh that, oh no, gotta go. Right. Um, I might say one or two words, and I can be a little terse, incisive, and cutting sometimes. <laughs> is how I would put it. Yes. Yeah. Well, do you think you're a cheerful person? No, I actually think I struggle with it. I I struggle with um, performative angst. And I think that it's something that you and I talk a lot about as friends. And um, I try to be snarky and happy when I can be, particularly on social media. But I think in, in direct social situations, I, for some reason, got a chip put in my head. And I'm not blaming anyone. I don't think this necessarily came from my parents. Um, that if I was happy or upbeat, somebody would criticize it and and sort of try to shoot it down. And so I need to um, say the self-deprecating thing before anybody else can. And I think that there's a middle ground there between um, being that person who's always sort of bowing your head and trying to be sheepish and humble, which isn't kind of a form of performance and a lot of people can read as disingenuous, but also being confident and um, upbeat and happy, you know? And I do think this all plays into the topic that we want to discuss today, which is actually romance and love. Do you think I'm a cheerful person? I think that you have the ability to be very cheerful. 
And I think that you have the ability to be you, as you just said, the thing that I see that I believe to be true about you, unlike most of the crap you say about yourself on our podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the delusional nonsense the delusional chest beating nonsense. No, I the, your attitude of we're all in this together, particularly when you enter service situations or communal situations. Let's get this done together. You are my best friend, even though you work here. We are all equals. That is something that you are absolutely uh, capable of, and I think it serves you very well in your life. And it, I find it personally inspiring. I do. You know, I try to adopt that attitude in situations as opposed to I'm walking into every situation believing somebody's going to get one over on me. I have to be standoffish, and I have to be defensive, and I have to fight. You know, we talk about the friends that you've had who – um, check in at the hotel and immediately begin fighting with all the people behind the desk. You know what I mean? Uh, like it's all just don't yeah. understand that. Yeah. Like it may come to that, but even then, like you get more without that, you get better. Mm -hmm. I always love that. Um, the, the, the concierge, my Italian concierge story. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good story. You know, like, I never really got in a fight with that man. We, I never, you know, like there were no words exchanged. I didn't have some big scene. Mm -hmm. We were in, the story. we were in Rome and we were getting ready to go to Florence, I think. And we'd, yes. we'd been out for the day and Christopher went back to his room and I was trying to get packed and I wanted to ship a lot of souvenirs and tchotchke and stuff um, back to home before we left i didn't want to drag it to florence i didn't see any point right. in that so i called down to the concierge desk and said i've got some stuff i want to ship back to the states you know what do we need to do how can we make this happen and he launched into this um rather extended not a tirade but it was like a lecture on how it wasn't possible mm-hmm all of the reasons why it was not possible for this Waldorf Astoria hotel to ship goods back to the United States, which seemed dubious at best to me. And so I said, well, then why am I still talking to you? And I hung up the phone. And it was within, I'm going to say it was within ten, 15 minutes. There was a knock at the door and it was somebody there to get my passport to make copies of it for the um, customs paperwork that was going to have to be filed to go with the packages that they were putting together downstairs to ship my stuff back to the United States and forms for me to fill out to, you know, give them the addresses and stuff because I, his point was it was Saturday. And so that was it. All, all bets were off. No shipping was ever going to be possible again. And I was like, well, they'll be back on Monday. Won't they? Anyway, mm -hmm. I didn't say any of those things to him. I just said, why am I still talking to you? Because like, why would I call the concierge desk to get a list of why you can't do stuff? Like mm -hmm. it just seemed odd to me. So I didn't really get into it with him. I just was like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. So that's the decisive side, right? That, right? My favorite part of the story was you going downstairs and saying, <laughs> right. uh, I'm going to need to ship some. Oh, are you with Mr. Quinn? Like, yes, you just bring whatever you want yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think the thing I like about it, like you weren't asking for anything for free. 
You weren't. No. You were asking for. Anyway, I, I there is a there's a something service about your from assert- the concierge desk, right? And there is something inspiring about your assertiveness, but I think that your ability to be cheerful, as we were talking about it, comes from your knowledge that when you are being dismissed, you know how to take care of yourself. And I do think that's going to play a role in our conversation about love and romance, which is coming up. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. All right, so my tentative title for today's episode, and this may not be what we decide on, is Romancing the Hosts. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, okay, great. Um, <laughs> I'll be Joel changing that Wilder. later. Joel Wilder. <laughs> Joan Wilder. Eric Quinn. Eric Quinn. It's you. Okay. There, two. But there were, two. There, there were two um, inspirations for this episode. One was that Valentine's Day is only recently in our rearview mirror, and we did a true crime TV club on that day. The other one is that we, we do this thing called the Wednesday question, and we asked people recently what their least favorite holiday was, the one that they could wipe from the calendar. And a lot of people said Valentine's Day. Not all of them, but a, a, a noticeable number. And so in a subsequent Wednesday question, we asked people to define true love in three words, and we'll get to those later. But we had our own way that we thought we were going to break down this question. Do you even remember what it is? <laughs> Your eyes are getting bigger on FaceTime. Oh, my God. Is there like uh, is there a prize for remembering what we're even talking about? I'm sorry. Was I supposed to be paying attention to you? <laughs> I have more stories about Rome hotels. I thought we were talking about travel advice today. <laughs> this is now a travel podcast. No. No, um, we were going to talk about the most romantic thing that anyone has ever done for us. But before we got there, we were going to talk about our favorite romantic movie and maybe our favorite romantic book as well. Yeah. Or maybe they're the same thing. Yeah, that's Be- what I thought we were going to do. So when you got yeah. that list of the, the three, I was like, what was the question again? Oh, that's just if we run out of time. And we, because we love our party people and we want to give them a voice on the podcast. Always. Right. And they had great answers, too. So. I struggled with this one. I really did. I thought, you know, not the movie book portion, but the most romantic thing that's at, like I descended right into bitterness. <laughs> I was like, nobody's ever done a damn thing for me at all. I'm always the one doing it. I go out, I buy the rose petals, sprinkle them all over the floor just to get them to bottom finally. <laughs> you know, uh, so that's where my head went. What about you, Eric Shaw Quinn? Um, yeah, you know, like, I, I, I always tell, I think I've told that story, the story of the, the thing, the moment that was the most romantic moment for me was that odd, that, I, I think we've, I, that's what I thought. It was like, 
Have we done this before? Because I know I talked about Roy Slade, the boy who, the first boy who I ever like, the boy who made me realize, oh, mm-hmm. I like boys. Mm-hmm. I see. That explains so much. Um, he never knew it, but um, mm-hmm. he transferred into my high school, and I think that was his name. That's what I think from Alaska in the um, mid-year at W.J. Keenan High School in beautiful Columbia, South Carolina. And yeah, he was beautiful. And so there was that. And I think in that same episode, I talked about the moment that the, I will be in the Livingston Taylor moment. That tell us the moment again, Eric Shockwin. It's been okay. a terrible year. We've probably all forgotten. We love your stories. Um, I was dating this guy, um, Greg Crutcher. Um, I was still in college and he was really young and working at the local TV station. He was the Carolina traveler and it was newly on and it was kind of amazing. And there was this moment he was, he was a slob. Um, Mm. and he had like 8,000 loads of laundry that needed doing. And the house was kind of, you know, cabinets filled with rotting food and uh, takeout containers in the refrigerator. And we had this moment where we were cleaning his house up. We were doing his laundry um, so that it would be a nicer place for us to do other things. Um, And there was a moment, it was a row house. It was tall and skinny and the bedroom was on the top floor. I think it was two or three floors up it was, I think the only thing there and was a cold spring or late winter day. And mm-hmm. there was this cold breeze blowing through and we were putting the sheets on the bed or I was putting the sheets on the bed, the clean sheets on the bed. And he had put on Livingston Taylor, um, who is the younger brother of James Taylor singing this song, I think maybe his only hit, um, I Will Be In Love With You. And he came running up the stairs singing that song and swept me and the clean laundry and the sheets up in his arms and spun me around and it's the sun coming through and the sheets all over and the smell of the clean laundry and we fell onto the bed and that was maybe the most romantic moment that I can think of, but I don't know that's, that's somebody doing something romantic, you know, like I had a couple of people send me romantic things Two, ironically at Easter sent me one actually sent an Easter, somebody dressed as an Easter bunny with a huge basket of goodies to my office. Um, mm. And yeah, which was kind of, which was kind of like, wow. And then, you know, he was one of those people who we had a conversation. And I said, well, like over dinner, not long after that, where I said, OK, I think this is going a little fast. So maybe we need to slow down some. And he kind of gave up. And another person did it, like left the Easter basket at my door. And then I never heard from him again. Hmm. Like even to acknowledge the Easter basket. It was like, well, I, I don't know what that was about, but that's odd. <laughs> yeah. I, I, both of those were strange incidents, so I guess they were kind of romantic, but 
you know, they were just sort of a nice gesture, like getting mm-hmm. flowers or something, which is which is lovely. But I don't know. I think of romantic moments as like um, somebody doing something that really speaks to you, that shows yes. that they know you, right? right. That shows yeah. that they care about you. I always tell that story about my friend. Um, we were not dating. We never dated. Um, we were just dear friends. My dear friend, John Wesley, um, came back. He was in, he was filming Dawson's Creek in North Carolina and he was back in town for a while, but his car was still in North Carolina. So he got a rental car and we were going Mm -hmm. to see, I believe to see rent. Mm. He'd gotten tickets for us to go see the musical rent down at the Amundsen and here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Which was lovely, which was nice, and I was looking forward to that. And uh, but when I got in the car, in the um, in the pocket right beside my door was a big box of Altoids, mm-hmm. which he knew that which was uh, which I loved. I'm addicted to Altoids, and I always thought that's the kind of thing that yes. always yes gets and that me. It's, yes. It's when um. It's when, um, oh, what's his name? When uh, Sam Hogan. In, Here comes uh, the Outlander, Outlander story. I right. knew the Outlander story was coming. When he, when he shows up with um, with her rap because it was chilly, like, and I cried because, like, you cried the first three times you told the story on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, it just really, it really gets that kind of stuff gets to me because it it showed that he was. Those are the things that I feel like are romantic. So like that was a great romantic moment with Greg or even getting those lovely uh, Easter baskets were certainly lovely gestures, but a romantic moment, you know, somebody doing something romantic and a romantic moment are maybe not the same things for me. I I agree. And I had the same response when I really sat down to think about it, that the the accidental moments of either self-sacrifice or somebody really seeing you, like you said, like I was thinking about a boy that I was crazy about that I dated not very long because he broke it off. He went, we were walking down Sunset Boulevard. It was just a Sunday afternoon and I ducked into some store that he wasn't interested in. And when I came out, he had gone down the street and purchased me my favorite tea from one of my favorite coffee shops. And I was just like, <gasps> yeah, you know? that's exactly, that's the thing. That's right. the, the romantic. I don't know that you've told me that story before. That's lovely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think I told you at the time, and then the way he broke up with me subsumed it all in a fiery Twinkie mess. But um, <laughs> yeah, that was the sad one. But that was the it. One I mean, who called a line from a television show? To yes, break up he with used you. dialogue yes. from the latest episodes of Brothers and Sisters. That we're yeah. dating ourselves, but yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it Christopher was, tell, was telling me what he said, and I was like, "Does he watch Brothers and Sisters? Because that's what they said in the last episode." Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but like, that's what it's about. Like I, and I don't want to sound cynical, but the grand gesture, and, and I have to be really honest and blunt here and say that this might just be because I come from a very privileged background. Like I didn't want for a lot of things as a young person. I was very blessed. I was very fortunate. And so I, I a string quartet, things like that. Those can be wonderful things that really somebody knocks themselves out with that. And it's like, you really yeah. feel seen and, and thought that's of. plenty romantic. Yeah. But that's not that, that like the, the, my favorite tea, the knowledge that you listened to me or you heard me or that you anticipated my needs yeah. in a way like that. And I think when it gets into romantic stories, you know, cause I'm a big romance novel fan and I've even written a few and I'm working on a few more. 
Um, I really gravitate towards the stories where romance is defined as sacrifice, self-sacrifice, your ability to get over your own shit, if you will, to be with the person that you know is the one for you, even if it's not necessarily easy. You know, yeah. like I think that's yeah. really... That's and to the... be thinking about that other person's feelings and needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like for all of the grand dramatic stuff in uh, Prince's Psalm. Right. That moment when Jonathan, when David comes back to his rooms and his dog mm-hmm. is there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Prince's, it's, tell people what Prince's Psalm is again. It's your Prince's novel. Psalm is a book that I wrote about the um, the romance between King David, the man who ultimately became King David, and uh, Prince Jonathan, who was in fact the heir to uh, the throne of Israel prior to um, David becoming king, mm-hmm. um, based on the book of Samuel from the Bible, mm-hmm. it inspired me. There is a there. It is, it is like a gone with the wind level romance that's actually in the Old Testament. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't make it up. Right. I just expanded on it and wrote a novel about it and. Um, because, you know, I thought people should know that that's there using right. that book to discriminate against people. I thought they might want to be aware that there was this gigantic romance there. Certainly got some pushback from some people oh. when the book came out. Oh, but, did um, we? Did we? But ever? yeah. 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 Absolutely. But yeah. Um, but that, you know, that those little things, those, those, uh, like there has been blessed little romance in my life. So I don't have a lot of examples. I'm. I'm single. To, I always say I'm single today, not because I turned down a lot of great offers, but because there's never been one, you know, mm. like mm-hmm. um, I was always the wrong thing at the wrong time. And then the AIDS crisis happened and half my eligible sat died. And so mm-hmm. the combination was I didn't look like um, like Burt Reynolds. <laughs> uh at the right which is what you know i looked like the thing that the twinkie thing that has become so so much more popular now i looked more like harry styles than burt reynolds and um so nobody paid any attention to me back when i was young and then by the time the harry styles the skinny and young and um whatever look uh was hairless came in um I wasn't going to be that age anymore. So that didn't happen. And, you know, circumstances have conspired. I've always really always been single. There has mm-hmm. not really been a relationship in my life. There have been a couple of one or two times where it's gotten, you know, a little bit, but mm-hmm. not much. Um, so there isn't a lot of examples for me. A lot of like romance for me has lived on the page or in the movies or in my own writing. Mm-hmm. So let's seg into our next address of this question. What do you think? What is your favorite romantic film? Did you pick a film or did you pick a book? God, I picked both. Okay. Um, the The book is really easy for me. The book is Last of the Wine mm-hmm. by Mary mm-hmm. Renault. Like I, there is just, there's no contest. I have, I have read some romantic things, but I don't know why, but there was something about that book that just swept me away. Um, the movie was a harder choice. Like, yeah, I think I have to say Maurice or Morris, depending mm-hmm. on the, um, the, 
the uh, Merchant Ivory film with uh, uh, Rupert Graves and uh, yeah. Hugh Grant and uh, that that just really you know but I'm torn because the um Brokeback Mountain mm-hmm. um let's see I wrote them out I was trying to like yeah I did a thing similar to what you did which is I went and looked the, at lists the home of at the end movies. of the world yeah yeah and then there was this little movie a long time ago called Beautiful Thing by mm-hmm. Hattie McDaniel. She directed it. Um, that was just, it just swept me away. It was about two young gay people falling in love with each other. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. In, as high school, it just, my heart just explodes. It's there's no, you know, it's just about their joy in discovering each other and falling in love. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. What about you, Christopher Rice? Well, I don't know if you had this experience, but I had the, I had this pang of guilt when I realized that my first choice for the most romantic movie I'd ever seen was actually about a straight couple. And, and uh, clearly I had done the conversion in my head. But I went online and I started looking at top 10 lists and I started going through a lot of the most popular gay movies thinking maybe there's something I've forgotten or maybe there's something I'm censoring. And, and a lot of them had downbeat endings, you know, up until recently. You know, they were tragic films. Brokeback Mountain, very romantic, but very sad ending. Oh, my movie. God. Just heartbreaking. Um, and a lot of them I didn't – I had the experience – I had this experience with books, right, that the first really impactful gay novels in particular that I read um, weren't swooningly romantic, but there was that amazing experience of identifying deeply with somebody on the page. Or if I was younger, seeing a preview of the community that I was headed towards later in life in urban centers here in America – no, but not necessarily like, oh, I'm seeing a relationship I would love to be in or a marriage that seems completely intoxicating. I had that experience more recently when I got over my own prejudice and bias towards the idea of women writing gay romances. Although we should say it's a much older book, but Last of the Wine was written about two men, but written by Mary Renault. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but I read a lot of very dark but I thought gritty and sophisticated, um, what are called MMs, male romance novels. The M is an old internet code for fan fiction that means both romantic right. leads are male. And um, I really saw myself for the first time. And I saw characters, two male characters, really overcoming some shit that wasn't always about homophobia and oppression. It was about their personal issues, addiction, compulsions, self-destructive tendencies, and helping each other get over it in a way that was like, okay, here. I'm home. I found it. And I think one of those books is one that I've talked. It's not a very well-known novel, but it's one that I've talked about before on the podcast and it's called while the world sleeps. And, um, 
It's set in a small southern town. It's about one guy has a sleep disorder that is leading him to do destructive things. And the sheriff of Uh the town, who is gay, becomes kind of invested in trying to help him deal with it. And um, he has to sort of tie him up at night to keep him from uh, wandering around and hurting himself and doing things. And that (laughs) becomes an entree towards discovering that the other guy really enjoys being tied up. So it's actually kind of an erotic romance as well. But... um, you know, you find it where you find it, and that's kind of where I right. found it. No. But in terms of the movie, which I think, even though it's a straight couple, is very much in line with those themes, it's Moonstruck. It's Moonstruck because oh. it gets at the accidental nature of the best, the unexpected and accidental nature of romance that I think you and I talk about all the time, that the yes. harder you look for it, the more you're trying to force something to happen that's maybe not meant to happen. But it's like, so if you haven't seen Moonstruck, correct that immediately because it's an amazing, hilariously written, some oh of the my best God. dialogue. It's, yes, I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've seen Moonstruck. I could, yeah, I just periodically need to see Moonstruck again. It is a great film. And I think Olympia Dukakis and Cher both won Oscars for their performances. I think they both won. I think act- so. Yeah. Okay. I think that's where she said, I, uh, this is the year of the Dukakai. Yeah. So and uh, Cher definitely won. She um, Cher is playing this widow who lives in I think they live in Queens or they live outside Manhattan, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Yeah, and she's in this relationship with this guy Johnny Camerari, and he's sort of like it's yeah. on paper it's a good thing. Yeah. she's had a relationship before that didn't work out. He got hit by a bus, right? She always says I got hit by a bus, um, and so they they have this really bland wedding proposal in this moment that's not really you can tell they're not really happy and he's getting on a plane to go tend to his mother who's dying in Sicily and he says listen while I'm gone I need you to go invite my brother to the wedding where there's bad blood between us I need you to extend the invitation and without giving too much away she goes to extend the invitation and from then on out Everything is on the everything is thrown off the table I should say and is on the table it's a great movie and it is about it's that when it first arrives, you don't necessarily recognize it as being either the right thing or the wrong thing. And I just, and it's, I, I, I just, I think it's great. And it is, again, it's not necessarily, there's some grand gestures in the movie. Nicolas Cage is the brother, he, another great performance. He does do some grand gestures, but it's mostly about being willing to be open to chance and randomness in this area of your life, you know? It's really interesting that you would, I hadn't thought of it to describe it that way. And to be fair, that's the thing that I love about Maurice, mm-hmm. Morris mm-hmm. or Maurice. Um, it's written more, the title is Maurice, like we in English would write it, but they pronounce it Morris in the movie. So, yeah, you know, um, take your pick. But yeah, there is the relationship that Morris has that looks like the one that, he should have the mm-hmm. the he, you know his fellows his schoolmate Hugh Grant and they're they meet at school and they have everything in common and they're equals and one of them's a peer and it's very you know and then the other is something that a chance encounter that happens um, with uh, Rupert Graves' character mm-hmm. uh, later in the movie and that there is a moment of the declaration of that 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 is very much equal to. The, the the declarations of love that happen in uh, in Moonstruck. It's not mm-hmm. as comic, but mm-hmm. but it is that that sort of you know like no this is 
this is it. There's the meeting at the boathouse that the mm-hmm. is one of the most take my breath away romantic moments that I've ever seen in any film, same sex or otherwise. I, yeah, I think that you have to include same sex films because most of our lives has been looking at autocorrect um, right. versions of of straight culture and trying to find romance there and imagine ourselves because we have not been much or often depicted. We've talked about this lately of the Mm -hmm. reluctance on the part of, you know, I always say that of the movie, when, when Brokeback Mountain came out of the movies that were nominated for best picture that year, the one that made the most money at the box office the one that was the more than $100 million movie was Brokeback, and yet there wasn't another one. You know, when is the next Brokeback coming? Yeah, yeah. I'm still waiting. Like, yeah. Moonlight probably, I guess, is as close as we've gotten, but... Mm-hmm. And I loved Moonlight, really. but it's it's a, it's sort of a different story. It's I mean, yeah, in, it's in a the very ro- different story. It's a coming-of-age story. It's not a, a coming-of-age story, story, and you, story. they arrive there kind of, yeah. and But it's, it's a great film, but... Um, oh, yeah. Also, not a film that boasted two huge Hollywood stars the way Brokeback did. That was the thing. Yes. You would have expected that Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger sort of broke through the ceiling of, yes, you can play these roles and make love to another man on camera, and it doesn't ruin your career the way it apparently damaged... Uh, do you want to get that, Eric Shaquin? You have some calls coming in. You just reminded me I forgot to turn off my phone, too. <laughs> I turned my phone off. I'm very annoyed that that happened. <laughs> it's still ringing. Uh, Stop. That's okay. I listened to a friend's podcast once, and a train went by his house during the recording, and he just rolled with it because, you know, that's how it is. <laughs> um, but what I was saying was that... Uh, uh, we were talking about Moonlight, Brokeback Mountain, and all this sort of stuff. Oh, Harry Hamlin made a movie called Making Love, I believe, in the I 80s. I remember And he that. said yes. he could not get work for years, that it just, he was blacklisted for having played a gay guy. Everyone said, they're all going to think you're gay, Harry, so we can't cast you. Yeah, I'm not sure that was it, but okay. <laughs> a little Harry Hamlin tone there. Okay. Anyway, so uh, augmenting this discussion, we asked uh, in a recent Wednesday question, and if you're not familiar with that, on our Facebook page, which is the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page, because the TDPS and the TDPS Network stands for the Dinner Party Show, which was our flagship podcast and internet radio show. Uh, But that's where we do all our Facebooking, if you're looking to connect with us. We do something called the Wednesday Question, and we recently asked all of you to define true love in three words. And we're going to go through some of those gems now. Angela Robinson. It makes so much more sense to me once you told me that that was the thing. I was reading this. I was like, I'm sorry. Because I thought it was like the (laughs) the most romantic thing anybody ever did for you. Or the most romantic. So I was reading this and I was like, really? Yeah, that would Uh make Jessica Jones's response, helping while barfing, seem very... Yeah. I saw that and I thought, yeah, I guess th- I guess that's a romantic thing to do. Um, sure. Yeah, Angela Robinson. You may want to raise def- the bar a little bit. Angela Robinson defines true love with these three words: authentic, honest, crazy. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it but- can be. Yeah, it's sometimes against all odds. Catherine uh, Tabor uh, Seidlitz, excuse me, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. Compassion, communication, this is a hard one, humility. 
Um, yeah, humility's a bitch. Yeah, the one that once you figured it out, you may not have it anymore. I know, right? I'm so humble, aren't I? But yeah. Yeah, yeah humility is quiet. That's my experience. Humility says less. You know? Like... Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, it is the one thing that, like, a humble person would never tell you that they are humble. It's the one thing you can never really own. Mm-hmm. Because once you have, you're not humble. Like, it's the antithesis of... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a challenge. I For me, um, it's about not claiming to be. It's about um, authenticity mm-hmm. is uh, the best... The best way of humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that was authentic was one of Angela Robinson's three words: authentic, honest, and crazy. But yeah, you describe that sometimes as being willing to be fully naked with the other, and not just in Absolutely. a literal sense, right? Completely, a hundred percent yourself. You're willing to show them you're crazy. Right. There was a an old television show called Evening Shade, where Elizabeth Ashley played. Um, Burt Reynolds' older brother, and she was, the character was kind of the crazy, drunken black sheep of the family, and she was talking about, she said it's, you know that they love you when they take you to, you know, the event, and you really do something, you know, questionable or terrible, whatever, and they still leave with you and still, you know. Yeah. You know that it's love. Yeah. When it's warts and all. Angelina Farmer defines it as these three words. Finish my food. <laughs> but there, like, we need, we need clarity, Angelina, and we know that you will provide it to us because you are so wonderful at engaging with us. Does this mean finish my cooking or finish the part of the food on right. my plate that eat I don't want to eat? all of what I have prepared or right. eat all eating off my plate? Like, yes. which is... Which is I don't know. I would very much like to know because it's very unclear from that which which it is that you mean. I, I think either of them can have their having somebody eat comfortable to eat off your plate is lovely, but um, mm-hmm. but How- uh, yeah, but yeah, having somebody willing to eat what you prepared for them is um, is also its own thing. Daylin pair, loyalty, trust, honesty. I got no beef with that. That sounds right to me. Loyalty, trust, that sounds, and honesty. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like, uh, yeah. The like, loyalty thing. Like, that gets really thorny because, like, I've been I've been the, the victim of and also the, 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 I don't know, accused of not putting the other person, and I'm putting this in giant air quotes, first. I think that can become a really toxic dynamic when you start to decide when you're deciding who's coming first and are your friends first is your job first and it's like what if <laughs> everything was integrated in some way I think when someone is lodging that complaint I feel like I don't come first and they're targeting something there's really just a larger kind of attention problem in the relationship it's like I feel like I'm not getting anything out of you that I really want out of you. And so I've decided that you are giving more of it to this other area of your life when really that might not be the case. You know, it's just that they're well, not showing up. Well, I have up. to say this about that is that you have to um, fall for the boyfriend that you have and not the potential boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, I think what a lot of people do is find somebody and then want them to not be the person that they found. I, I had a friend once who uh, met a guy out line dancing at um, 
uh, Oil Can Harry's, the sadly lamented Oil Can Harry's here in Longtime Gay Bar here in Los Angeles. Did they um, close? They they fell in love. Yeah, Oil Can Harry's is gone. It's oh gonna my be a God. jazz club now. Oh my God. Yeah, I had no the gay idea. bars are dropping. Yeah. The gay bars are going. Um, they're not going to survive this. Um, and so they got into a relationship, and then the boyfriend wanted to go back to Oil Can Harry's and go line dancing. And I kind of broke him up eventually mm-hmm. because he wanted him not to want to do it anymore. And I was like, that's where you met him. It's what yeah. he loved doing. You know what I mean? You have to. So like, yeah, I think you, you, you want people who want you to put you first, but, and if they don't, then it's the wrong person for you. It's mm-hmm. not that they're doing something wrong. It's that you're trying for them to be somebody that they're not. Right. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? I do. Like, I know I, exactly I think what you mean. It's a challenging. I totally get the, I want the other person to put me first thing. But if you meet somebody who's this crazy workaholic who, you know, is wonderful when they show up, but they are mostly devoted to their work and you love them for being who they are, then you kind of have to accept that. You also pointed out to me once that if a boyfriend is willing to ditch all their friends for you, they're probably willing to ditch you for something shinier too. Yeah, not necessarily cheating necessarily, but it's just like if they're if they're all or nothing, like all or nothing rarely stays all with only one thing. (laughs) Socrates, I always say I want to marry a man who loves camping because I hate camping and I'm never going. Yeah. Um, So that means he has something that he loves doing that he can go do and I can go shopping and hang out or go to lunch or do whatever it is I love. Mm -hmm. And you know, have my own space and my own life. So I think there's something to be said for that as well. Absolutely. Anyway, more from on the list. Jennifer Marie Tunmeyer says, never giving up. Danelle Jennings says, huh, wow, that's really, yeah, I think so. I think that's the best mm-hmm. one I've heard so far because it's n- the no matter what, you know, yeah. I, I always think of the lady that I used to work with at our office. She and her husband were, she was an older woman, um, way older than I am now even. So really old. Oh, um, wow. Well, that's And old. her husband always picked her up every day from work because she couldn't drive anymore. And they were like teenagers. And we asked her, was like, what is it? What's the secret? And she said, I just, we just didn't leave. She said, mm-hmm. there were years when we didn't speak to each other. I mm-hmm. wish that somebody would drop an anvil on him, you know, like, mm-hmm. she, and we just stayed. Never mm-hmm. giving up is really the secret to, you know, yeah. but also knowing when to give up because yeah, if he's punching you around, never oh, giving yeah. up. Oh no, yeah. Don't, okay. don't abandon your boundaries and your health and your right. safety. Uh, Danelle Jennings. I don't know. I'm with Danelle. <laughs> I'm with Danelle. I don't know either. That's why we like to speculate. That's why we like That's to right. toss around Good answer. Good answer. Three words. Very haiku, Danelle. Uh, Natalie Guttermanson, deep, open connection. I think we've talked about open already. We've talked about authenticity yes. and openness are the same thing. Um, Howard Prince. And is one of his three words, better and worse. I think that's similar to never giving up. I'm seeing the trends here, right? Right. Here's here's a fun one. R- uh, Rhonda Gorman says, magic, tragic, connection. Now, I don't know if it's tragic connection. The way she's written it, it's magic, comma, tragic connection. 
So maybe the tragic is connected to the connection. It has to be a, a tragic magic, one. Tragic connection. Yes, <laughs> I, I think that's the that's the um, the uh, Olympia Dukakis version. Uh, do you love him, Loretta? I do. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They'll drive you crazy if you love them. Yeah, because they know they can. Yeah. Watch Moonstruck. Watch Morris. We highly recommend it. Uh, we do want to talk about what's happening next week because we are back. With- but first, I want to point out for the Harry Hamlin fans out there, he'd made a movie every year following the coming out of Making Love. So I think that sounds like a lot of whinging about the material he was getting, but maybe he should have, you know, like yeah. ramped it up a little bit. But yeah, I, I don't see his career. The, the only break I see in his career and looking at his IND page came after that movie he made the year before uh, Making Love, which was the one where he played uh, young Hercules or whatever the Titans Clash of the Titans that's a classic yeah. crap fest there was that's a, a there was a two one. year okay. break after that that may have done more damage to his career than making love may have saved him <laughs> all right this has become a fisking Harry Hamlin podcast all of a sudden okay <laughs> We are Harry Hamlin truthers. I like Harry Hamlin. I know. Let me just say. I know. But sometimes with actors, it's like, it's like, did you stop working entirely? Oh, that's something to complain about. Oh, you just didn't like the projects because like getting a project at all is, is 90% of the game in the business. In a a business where 98% of everybody in the SAG is unemployed all the time. um, Right. Yeah. Working a movie every year does not sound like a problem to me. Right. Absolutely. Okay, so we are returning to True Crime TV Club next week. Uh, we do want to honor the fact that we this- hope you enjoyed this brief break from the darkness. Um- right. <laughs> We want to honor that it is uh, Black History Month, and so we are going to bring you an episode of Hate in America, which is uh, one part of a three-part series with black journalist Tony Harris, who explores the court case that gave birth to the Southern Poverty Law Center, which has been an instrumental organization, also a big organization that pushed back against some of the excesses of the Trump era. Um, And so that should be a fascinating watch, and Tony Harris is going to host that and it includes interviews with all sorts of uh, pivotal figures in that organization and the history of that movement. So that will be next Fascinating. week. And that Looking is... forward to seeing that. Yeah, it's episode one of a three-part series, which should be streamable on most of your favorite platforms. If it's not, let us know, because we're always looking to pick things that you have the opportunity to watch, but our standard but disclaimer... true crime ID thing is the... Yeah, so you can watch it on that app, I think, even if... On the ID app, yeah. And we're yeah. also, it might be available on Discovery ID Plus, which is a new app, which is a subscription service, but it's an incredibly comprehensive platform with all of the TLC programs on it, and this is not a paid advertisement. We are not getting any commissions from this, but... But we wish we were. Yeah. Um, so we're wide open to that. If they want to send us some money, that would be great but let me do my usual disclaimer because it makes me feel safe and comfortable we serve up on true crime tv club the special in such detail that you don't need to have watched it but we tell you what it's going to be in case you want to watch it and um you know some people say that's the right because thing because it's true crime tv club yeah so yeah the idea is it's like everybody reads the same book and then we talk about it. this is we everybody watches the same tv show but you don't have to watch the tv show if no. you don't want to in fact was it Cindy Comforti who said she was yes. never watching the shows again? We call the it Cindy the Comforti rule. Cindy is. Comforti rules. She said, because the thing that you lose, a lot of this is commercial television. And so when you stream it, they do repeats and catch ups after the break that's not there anymore because you streamed it on television. It really annoys people. So we don't do that. We just take you right to the heart of the matter and serve it up. Anyway. 
That's all for this week. That's all for love. That's all for romance. We're done. It's over. We're back <laughs> until to next the dark Valentine's until day. next Valentine's Day. The day, day to remember you've been forgotten. Exactly. <laughs> until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.